Welcome to the BMO Road to Recovery podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bulls. Businesses have begun to turn their focus to the future beyond the COVID-19 pandemic, but the playbook of the past won't work in the future. In this series, we hear from experts across a variety of industries and professions that offer ideas on how leaders can address some of the critical facets of work and life that have and will continue to fundamentally change how businesses operate. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO, its affiliates or subsidiaries. Hello and welcome to another episode of Road to Recovery, Expert Conversations. I'm your host, Eric Bowles. As the COVID-19 pandemic hit, the impact on how businesses manage talent was felt almost immediately. Some companies were forced to make job cuts, others furlough employees, and workers who didn't need to be in a physical location to do their job worked remotely full-time. Meanwhile, events surrounding racial injustice put a spotlight on how businesses prioritize having a diverse and inclusive workforce. There was no playbook on how to manage these events of 2020. But my guests today have spent years setting talent strategies, creating training programs, and researching best practices for reshaping talent. Jacqueline Jensen is an associate professor at DePaul University and is director of the Human Resources Master's Program. Shannon Costigan is the head of leadership at BMO, and Jennifer Schlott-Roseanne is the managing director of North American Commercial Professional Development at BMO. Thank you all for joining me today. So we're gonna jump right into it and I'm gonna begin with a question that allows us to kind of look at hindsight. So this first question is gonna be for all three of you. And question number one is this, prior to 2020, what was the biggest challenge businesses were facing when it came to talent? And Shannon, I'm gonna begin that with you. Great, thanks so much, Eric. Prior to 2020, the financial services industry, as well as many other industries, were facing an evolving workforce, an evolving workforce and the never-ending changes from technology that were evolving our clients' and employees' expectations. And so where that meant we were focused was on a few areas. One, being mindful of our maturing and aging workforce and the retirement corridor that was upon us making sure that we had the right amount of talent and top talent to fill those roles. Also being aware of the gig economy. So many experts these days do not want full-time jobs. They wanna share their expertise in a way that works for them and their lifestyle. And so what that meant for us here at Vimo was that we were focused on upskilling and reskilling. The World Economic Forum told us that 54% of employees would upskill by 2020. I'm sure with the pandemic, those numbers have gone up. And so what we were able to do at BMO was focus on building platforms that would help us reskill and upskill all of our employees, whether it was through our BMO U, our university that allowed people to do training uh, anywhere at any time, and also creating specialized programs that had skill sets for the future, whether that be digital analytics, fintech. Um, capabilities that we saw were out in the future. Thank you so much for that, Shannon. Uh, Jennifer, how about yourself? 
you know, you know, building off of, of Shannon's comments, and certainly we're, you know, being at Mo benefited from a lot of the programming that Shannon talked about in terms of upskilling and reskilling, bringing it more, you know, to the line of business. You know, attracting talent to the business uh, was 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 a challenge because it, it's a talent war before you know COVID, um, and then when you were, you know, bringing people in, the retention piece, I think, was still something that was really important for us to manage. Not only did we see, you know, potentially women in mid-career still leaving the workforce and how we, you know, should manage that. And I think that tied to some of the things that we were doing in terms of thinking about how we were managing talent overall. And I still think there was some thread and it was getting a little stale in terms of a topic, but you know, the millennials, you know, what does it mean to have the millennials in the workforce? But we did have multiple generations and um, having meaningful work and having a purpose in your work was really important. So from a retention standpoint, we really needed to focus on that piece of it. Um, so tying it, I guess, to the brand and our brand, what did we stand for? What's the value proposition of, of working at BMO? So I think those were the things I think that were pre-COVID sort of top of mind from a recruiting and, and retention standpoint. Uh, thanks for that, Jennifer. Uh, Jacqueline, how about you? Thanks, Eric. And I, if I could just build on the points that Shannon and Jennifer have raised and re-emphasize this idea that, um, you know, prior to 2020, we were talking about recruiting talent in a tight labor market. It was really uh, a buyer's market. And so organizations had to be really thoughtful and really intentional about communicating their employer brand um, because, uh, you know, it was, you know, the, the job seekers really had their pick at that time. And I think that this continues to be really critical, especially as job seekers are still looking to find opportunities where their values ultimately align with the organization's values as well. No, I, I, I even from my experience kind of going on the outside looking in whether it's uh executive coaching or doing training from from an outsider's perspective uh even during my time playing football it was it was constantly emphasized that you know there's one ability which is to recognize talent there's another ability uh which is how to develop that talent and so i think that leads into this next question I have, and, and, and Jennifer, I'm going to direct this one specifically to you. And that question is, when you were training your employees, what were some of the skills that required the most attention? So that's part one. And part two of that same question is, how did this differ from executives and frontline employees? Um, I don't know if I'm going to answer your question, part one and part two, but I, I think I'm going to answer your question. Uh, you know, first and foremost, you know, we knew that and I don't think this is, um, you know, uh, unknown to a lot of people, but that 90% of 90% of the time when people leave a job, it's because of their managers, not because of their employer. So we were really focused on at the top of the house or the top of the, of the, of the totem pole, the managers and how they were um, uh, managing their folks uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. We have great leadership programming. We were, you know, promoting people, you know, into manager roles that were, great promotions, but not necessarily giving them the tools and the, the things that they needed to effectively manage their teams. So that was, um, I think, a critical piece of what we were doing. And I think back to Shannon's point about upskilling, you know, coaching on performance. How do they do that? Something, Eric, that, you know, you're very familiar with, um, you know, feedback and coaching, creating, you know, even how to create an inclusive environment. These things were not necessarily things that people had naturally. So we were really looking at that as a place where we needed to spend 
um, more time and effort. Um, but in terms of the real skills, and I think this applies to both the leadership level all the way to you know our, our frontline employees, um, looking at things like communication, uh, critical thinking, uh, problem solving, teamwork, those are the skills that, um, you know, whether we are, you know, they're, there's high social skills or high value skills are not going to be replaced by AI or anything that's uh, a machine oriented that we're going to need going forward, no matter what our future of work might look like. You know, I, I love when you go into the Jennifer and I'm going to also ask if Jacqueline or Shannon want to add anything to that, because, you know, what's called soft skills is not is really hard to do, right? And so in those very practical ways, in the ways you just got to describing, uh, Jennifer, I'd love to hear what Jacqueline or Shannon, in reference to that, uh, you know, what some of the focus of that training was on, just get your thoughts as well. So Jacqueline, if you don't mind chiming in, then we can close it with Shannon. Sure, I think that this is so critical, um, and I see this both in a university setting, but in practice as well. You can have the most technically capable employees, but if they lack the ability to communicate effectively, persuade others, um, think critically, and make those points of view to people who don't possess that same technical expertise, that's a big issue. Um, and so I, I couldn't agree more with the point raised about the criticality of these soft skills and how important they are um, for employees to really think about for their competitiveness in the marketplace. Thank you, Jacqueline. How about you, Shannon? You know, when I think about the training that we launched, so much of it was about reminding people of the core skills of leadership. And so much of leadership is about caring for your people. And people didn't know how to do that in a virtual way. So if you can't pop by someone's desk or take someone out for a coffee in the way that you used to, how do you be empathetic? How do you show your employees that you value them not only for the work that they do, but for the person that they are? And so we really had to dial back and, and go back to some of those fundamentals and ensure that not only were we teaching people about how to use the technology, how to um, you know, connect on MS Teams, but how do you also go back to the fundamentals of checking in with your employees asking how their day was, we're now in people's homes. And so the connectivity between who people are as employees and who they are as people, um, they're together. And so there's there's no choice but to, other than to treat people as full human beings. Um, and so just getting back to the basics of treating people yeah. um, as humans was really where we focused. I, I really like uh, not only the, the points you all are making, but it transitions to this next question. But before we leave it, Jennifer, there's something you said that, I, you know, I'm going to coin this phrase. I will give you credit the first time, but after that, it will be completely my own. No. <laughs> Where you talk about how well you're, the way to protect talent is to actually enhance their management, their, their managers and their management skills. You know, you take care of the players by taking care of the coach. I just, I love that. The simplicity of that, but there's a lot to that. And so I really appreciate that. This next question I have is in a relationship to where we're at right now. So as the pandemic hit and many employees had to work from home, what kind of additional training was needed? And Shannon, I'm going to come back to you because I believe you were answering some of that. 
just a little bit ago. So if you don't mind continuing on that, that'd be great. Yeah, Eric, you know, the first thing is, is I really want to thank all the leaders out there uh, for what they did to set people up during the pandemic. It really took leaders leaning in and um, helping set their employees up for success. Uh, we completely shifted the way we interact and partner as an organization. Here at BMO, we went from 5,000 employees working remotely to 30,000. And that involved three main components of training. The first was connectivity and collaboration. So setting people up on teams, making sure that people understood the technology and had the capabilities to operate effectively. The second was really caring for your employees and identifying that as a bucket of work, uh, making sure that our employees' health was looked after as well as their mental health. And so partnering with organizations like uh, the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Canada and making sure that we were able to help people understand how you deal with the stress and anxiety that the pandemic caused. And then the third was really our leadership fundamentals to what do leaders need now. They needed information on how do you communicate? How do you deal with change? How do you help um, people deliver in a more outcomes-based way? rather than a process-based way. And we were fortunate at BMO that we had already invested in, in a mobile platform. So we were allowed to roll out bite-sized learning pieces on those three buckets uh, and get them into our leaders' hands and our employees' hands really quickly. Thanks, Shannon, for that. that that's, wow. Uh, Jennifer, if you don't mind continuing on that as well. Sure, sure. I mean, I think the first reaction was was really triage. Like, oh, oh, geez, what did we just, you know, get ourselves into here? We all now are sitting at home trying to navigate how to how to, you know, get through the day. But you know, a Zoom call back then was a, an anomaly, and now it's, you know, I've got five a day, and so getting really comfortable, you know, being on camera was was interesting. Um, but really, it was. I mean, to Shannon's point, at first it was just making sure everyone could connect whether it was with our clients, whether it was with each other, was in, in fact, you know, rolling out a very large PPP program, you know, over 5 billion in, in, in loans to 20,000 customers. You couldn't do that without navigating the technology. So I think there was a lot of triage up front um, and even triage on wellness because people were anxious and normally you'd have that ability to walk by someone's desk and just talk about you know, what you might be feeling anxious about, and you didn't have that. So we actually created platforms for people to connect. So it wasn't really training, but it was more about pu pulling people together, whether it was to vent or share best practices. There were a lot of resources. We had a response hub at uh, BMO that had all these resources that people could draw from. It was driving managers to those resources so they could use them with their people. But then, at, you know, and, and the empathy had to be there because people were going through a lot of challenging times. I, I think then you had to balance empathy with business continuity. You know, so even today, I think we're managing what does business continuity look like while st still keeping all of those things in mind. So, you know, we've had a shift to our training. We had our priorities haven't changed. They just maybe some of them originally that we had at top of the list, you know, have, have moved down. But virtual selling, virtual meetings, um, change management, um, you know, a little bit more short bites because people can't sit in a classroom on a virtual environment all day long. So I think that that fatigue we're managing, um, but it, it is you know business as usual, and we're trying to flip most of our courses um, to a virtual platform. You know, for a longer term, and in fact, using this as an opportunity because frankly, with our 
geographic spread, we never really um, did anything virtually from a, from a classroom standpoint, at least in my world. I think in some cases uh, at, at an enterprise level, there might have been, because people didn't like it, frankly, uh, as much. So a lot of our in-person classrooms have now shifted to a virtual classroom. And, you know, frankly, that's the opportunity in this. You know, it might reduce travel costs and there might be some efficiencies we gain by, you know, what we're experiencing now from a business continuity standpoint. Hey, Jennifer, I, I love that, too, because I, I obviously my world's changed being a person who did everything live or in person. But what we've been able to discover through the process is all the greater opportunities. Like there's a level of engagement, even the, the, the collapsing the distance between, you know, senior leadership and more on the junior side. And, and, and I say that for one particular client I have who's in the financial services industry as well, um, there were. VP and above level meetings that many of those who were directors weren't really exposed to. And they've now changed it. And it was like, if we can add more people, not only saving them a cost, but a, a, a real alignment of information. Now people are a lot more up on because they're in on it. And so it was just neat how they have, they have taken a situation that in some cases is somewhat challenging and found new opportunities where the communication can be even clearer. So I just love all the stuff you guys have, uh, have, have been ahead of the curve uh, in terms of doing. Uh, that transitions us to uh, a, a question, and Jacqueline, I'm going to begin this question with you. And that question is, how do you onboard new employees, whether established workers, uh, new graduates or interns, in a virtual setting to set them up for success? Eric, that's a great question, and it it gives the opportunity to kind of thread together um, some of the points that have been raised already, um, which really speak to people's desire to connect with their colleagues, and especially in a virtual environment, as as the as Jennifer and Shannon have raised, there's not the casual pop by someone's office anymore to grab a coffee or to to check in um, casually about things. And I think that that is so important in virtual work and the research on the effectiveness of virtual teams is really clear on this point that, um, you know, yes, we're in a heads down, get stuff done environment, but don't let that um, sort of get in the way of using the opportunity in a virtual team to build in the space to really give the team members the opportunity to know one another and really work on building some of those genuine connections. Those are critical for people being able to feel like they can trust each other and know the strengths of their teammates, but also have open conversations about what your goals are about being a member of that team and what you really want to get out of this experience. And so I, I think that that's really essential, especially when we're in virtual work. And then just basic things like, let's talk about our availability and when I'm reachable and when I'm not and how I prefer to communicate. You know, those simple things, the team basically getting to set their own rules of operation, that expectation setting and communication is so critical because it allows people to share what they expect, but also what others can expect of them. Thank you, Jacqueline. Hey, Jennifer, do you have some, maybe some practical examples you all have done there at BMO? Well, um, we've been onboarding uh, virtually all summer because we had all our interns uh, come in, uh, well, come in virtually. <laughs> but we actually, in about a week, have 29 plus employees coming into the bank. Um, so this, and these are individuals, that's their first job. 
So it's never more important. You know, there's a little history that we're building for these for these young, young, new employees. So, you know, certainly to Jacqueline's point, you know, there's making them feel welcome. So the first and foremost is we, you know, we try to do some sort of welcome package just so they feel that, you know, the BMO brand. So they feel part of an organization. Um, we really are careful about managing tech hiccups because if you don't have your computer and your tech set up now, you, it's basically your lifeline is gone to your job. So, it, you know, where before they could still walk in the office and see people, now you, you better get that computer set up uh, quickly. So we're truly trying to be better about that. Um, and to, to Jacqueline's point, replacing those, you know, impromptu engagements that would happen, we're really trying to be planful about making sure people are coming in virtually to conversations with people that may, maybe they normally would have met. So really creating a little bit more scheduling around that. And the other thing we've been doing with our interns and we'll be doing with our new associates coming in is giving them buddies. Uh, somebody that, you know, where you normally could just ask someone really quickly, like get a desk a couple places over, where do I go to get or who do I call for? We are signing buddies so that there's someone they feel really comfortable with that they can um, engage with to make sure that they have you know, a resource to navigate an organization quickly and early. Um, so those are some of the things, the like tactical things we're doing to make sure that our, our people feel like a warm hug when they still come in as opposed to um, you know, this, this cold computer that they're staring at. I got you. I'll be I got a virtual, hopefully distant hug, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're, we're, we're kind of closing in time, so I'm going to ask this question uh, of and, and, uh, this, 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 this question here, and I'm going to ask Shannon and Jacqueline to answer it. And I know we can go longer on the answer, but I'm going to ask you to keep this uh, really concise. But uh, here's a question. As racial inequality and civil unrest has come to the forefront, how should leaders communicate a commitment to an inclusive environment, and how can they start to live that commitment? So, Shannon, I want to begin with you. You know, Eric, as the head of leadership, I can't emphasize enough how leadership matters in this area. Our employees want to know what our commitment is and how we're going to live up to that commitment with actions. And this really starts at the top. So for BMO, uh, creating an inclusive environment is part of our DNA we have just actually launched a brand new commitment to zero, zero barriers to inclusion in 2025. And that's about reducing systematic barriers to access, growth, and advancement, as well as making sure that we create a culture of belonging. But when we talk about starting at the top, this really had to start with our CEO. So our CEO was very public and committing what our organization was going to do to make sure that we had a racial equity in our and in our workforce. And then all of our leaders have also leaned in. We've been engaging in listening sessions with our employees. And I, I want to emphasize to everyone, these are tough conversations. We need to be open to education and we need to be open to hearing things that we may not have been aware of. And lastly, we need to have an action plan. And so as some examples, as part of our action plan at BMO, we've committed to refreshing our development programs for the company. And so we're launching in Canada, a new indigenous program. 
And uh, for the whole company, we are launching a new racial equity program that we've created in conjunction with our Black Professionals Network. We've also made sure that as part of our strategy that we have new workforce representation goals, that we've talked about how we're going to eliminate racial injustice and support our communities. And so one of the ways we've been able to do that is through making sound actively working on these issues. So in Chicago, we've donated $10 million to the mayor's economic development plan with United Way's Neighborhood Network. And in Canada, we've donated $10 million to the United Way in Greater Toronto. This is about taking actions that stand in alignment with our values. And our leaders need to do that. Our employees are looking for it. And I would encourage everyone who's in a leadership position to make sure that you're clear with your employees what your commitments are and what your actions are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jacqueline, would you like to add to that? Yeah, Shannon, I'm so glad to hear you talk about the importance of leadership and taking value-driven action. I can't agree with you more strongly. I think this also requires a willingness um, for people to look within and sometimes take a hard look in the mirror about their own beliefs and values and perhaps stereotypes and biases that they may hold that prevent them from making decisions that are aligned with an organization that values and prioritizes equity. And I think it's important for people to, to take a hard look in the mirror and appreciate things that um, have existed in your background that have given you different privileges than your colleagues and how that ultimately impacts the way that you interact with others and, and your willingness to have those courageous conversations in a really open way. And I think until individuals are willing to do that, any efforts around you know, training or, or even hard looks at systemic barriers are, are not gonna come to their full potential because it really does require everyone to say, what's in it for me? What do I need to do to make sure that how I treat others is, um, is really at, at the top of mind when it comes to, to fairness and inclusion? Um, and thinking about how we need to collaborate with others in order to be really effective. Um, you know, our ability to do that rests wholly on our willingness to be open to having these kinds of conversations. Gotcha, guys. Thank you for both of you sharing that. There's one little uh, uh, note I always uh, I prefer to encourage leaders with is that diversity inclusion uh, also can lead to such an incredible competitive advantage in terms of just, uh, you know, it's not just because it's a nice thing to do. It's that we multiply our intelligence when it comes together, our awareness, what we're capable of doing. So it's almost a performance improvement initiative, not just something to do because there's outside pressure. So uh, I love both of your answers. Thank you so much for that. I am going to jump us ahead. And, and, and the question I'm going to ask is the first one because it's a little different. I ask you to give me quick answers for this, but how does the way, especially in this new reality we're living in, how does the way managers look at resumes need to change? And so Jacqueline, that first question for you, and then I'm going to go to Jennifer. Sure. That's a great question because I think it requires us to rethink the way that we have historically looked at talent. And for example, um, oftentimes in the recruiting process, if you notice an employment gap on someone's resume, it raises questions about their level of competence and fit. 
And I think that that has the deep potential to overlook candidates who have found themselves perhaps laid off or furloughed as, as we're seeing right now happen in the marketplace. It overlooks um, qualified candidates like working parents that have taken time off from work to care for and support their family. And it also supposes that there is one path to success, and that is a linear path where you show progressively consistent um, experiences of increasing responsibility. And I think we can all look to examples within our organizations where we can see incredibly talented employees that haven't followed that path. And so I think, you know, thinking about that in the context of providing access and opportunity to a wider um, group of individuals, it, you know, part of it starts with rethinking how we evaluate um, candidate experience. Uh, thank you, Jacqueline. And Jennifer. Sure. You know, I, I would say, you know, we're thinking more about the skills you can teach versus the skills you need. Um, I think to Jacqueline's point, you know, we were very, we had a very narrow, I think a much narrower box than we needed to, uh, particularly for our intake programs that I have, um, that I manage. So it's, it's looking a little differently at, you know, we don't, we were looking at, let's say, finance and accounting majors, you know, those technical skills that they already have walking in. But, well, those are very teachable, but those other skills, communication, critical thinking, problem solving, are not. So how can we sort of expand our, you know, sort of review process and our screening process to look for those skills that, you know, frankly, are, are harder to teach in the classroom? And the other thing we found is that by having such a narrow box, we were really not um, uh, recruiting for the diverse workforce we were looking for, you know, using the you know, finance and accounting majors as an example, um, there weren't a high proportion of students that were black looking at finance and accounting as their major. So just thinking about it all a little bit differently, we were very narrow on GPA and, and potentially schools they went to because of that's where we recruited. So being a little bit more open to uh, talent spotting in different and unique ways and being a little bit more open-minded and then you know, looking at, um, uh, again, those skills that, you know, we think we could teach versus what we think is a requirement, you know, walking in. Uh, well, and that, and Jennifer, that answer leads right into the closing question I have for you guys, which is what is your future view on how we look at talent in 2020 and beyond? I, I think this transitions well into that question. So, Shannon, I'm going to begin that uh, question with you. Great. Thanks, Eric. I think this is uh, an answer that will evolve with time. I don't think we have all of the information yet on what our workforce will look like in the future, but I can tell you three things. We're going to have to be more human uh, as we work in one another. Two, we need to be more flexible, whether that's a global workforce, whether it's having adaptability in a virtual environment, or um, for people who are working in an office or a branch or a location, what that looks like for them. And the third element I would say is it really needs to be purpose-driven. And this is where at BMO, we're so proud of our purpose. And the pandemic has caused people to pause and reflect on what's most important to them in their personal lives. I would assume and assure you that many people have also done the same thing for their employment. So as we look at talent moving forward, how do we help them get purpose-filled jobs? And um, and really at BMO, that's about making a real difference in um, in people's lives. Thank you, thank you. And Jacqueline, I, I end this with you, if you don't mind answering that question as well. 
Yeah, I am going to echo what Shannon said about the critical um, necessity of flexibility and adaptability. And, and, you know, the past six months have shown us the tremendous value of doing just that because it signals that we are supportive of the people that we rely on most to do their best work under continually changing circumstances. And I think that that ultimately is enhanced with leaders who, as, as Shannon and Jennifer have said, are really doing so from the perspective of empathy, leading from the heart and not just the pocketbook. Yeah, yeah. One of the things in, in closing, um, when we talk about the, the, the qualities that you're looking for talent, when you all mentioned flexibility and adaptation, not only in the individual talent, but even organizationally, it's the same approach you all are taking. Uh, where you know you're very clear about what you want to do, why you want to do it, so your purpose is solid. But you are all being extremely flexible on the method you're using because that is changing every day. And so, uh, what they always say: those companies who continuously learn continue to figure out ways to keep earning. Right? <laughs> you're a learner, you're an earner. So I want to thank every single one of you for 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 your contributions. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Jennifer, so much for your expertise. Uh, I want to remind the audience who had it, it was with us that don't forget to join us on October 7th at 12 o'clock Eastern, 11 o'clock Central, that's AM, for our next conversation where we'll, we will discuss how our everyday lives have changed in 2020. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Don't forget to visit bmo.com forward slash expert conversations. That's bmo.com forward slash expert conversations to watch videos with our experts and hear more insights from BMO. This podcast has been prepared with the assistance of employees of Bank of Montreal, BMO Nesbitt Burns Inc., and BMO Capital Markets Corporation. Together, BMO. Notwithstanding the foregoing, this podcast should not be construed as an offer or the solicitation of an offer to sell or to buy or subscribe for any particular product or services, including, without limitation, any commodities, securities, or other financial instruments. We are not soliciting any specific action based on this podcast. It is for the general information of our clients. It does not constitute a recommendation or a suggestion that any investment or strategy referenced herein may be suitable for you. It does not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial conditions, or needs of individual clients. Nothing in this podcast constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a representation that any investment or strategy is suitable or appropriate to your unique circumstances or otherwise constitutes an opinion or a recommendation to you. BMO is not providing advice regarding the value or advisability of trading in commodity interests, including futures contracts and commodity options or any other activity, which would cause BMO or any of its affiliates to be considered a commodity trading advisor under the U.S. Commodity Exchange Act. BMO is not undertaking to act as a swap advisor to you or in your best interests, and you, to the extent applicable, will rely solely on advice from your qualified independent representative in making hedging or trading decisions. This podcast is not to be relied upon in substitution for the exercise of independent judgment. You should conduct your own independent analysis of the matters referred to herein, together with your qualified independent representative, if applicable. BMO assumes no responsibility for verification of the information in this podcast. No representation or warranties made as to the accuracy or completeness of such information, and BMO accepts no liability whatsoever for any loss arising from any use of or reliance on this podcast. BMO assumes no obligation to correct or update this podcast. This podcast does not contain all information that may be required to evaluate any transaction or matter, and information may be available to BMO and or its affiliates that is not reflected herein. BMO and its affiliates may have positions, long or short, and affect transactions or make markets, insecurities mentioned herein, or provide advice or loans to, or participate in the underwriting or restructuring of the obligations of, issuers and companies mentioned herein. Moreover, BMO's trading desks may have acted on the basis of the information in this podcast. For full legal disclosure, please visit bmocm.com legal.
To access our full disclosures for equity research reports, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure slash.